0: Good news and bad news this morning. Same news, but sometimes it's like, wow, it's exciting, but also sad. Today is our last time that will be for a while, at least, in the book of James. So we're ending our series in James. It's good news because we have um, a whole new wave of the Bible that's going to speak to us. And it's bad news because this has been such an incredible time as we've journeyed through these last few months using the book of James to lead and to guide us through the trials of life. And today we are going to look at the final aspect that James will give us as our parting ways with this letter. So turn to James chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 19 and 20. And as you do that, uh, just out of curiosity, who's been here since the beginning of our study in the book of James? Many hands should go up. It's only been a few months. Um, thanks for hanging around for the last few months, and if uh, if you haven't been, well, welcome. Uh, this time in the book of James will kind of give us a reason to look back at some of the things that we've looked at and studied, and it'll also give us some encouragement. Uh, Out of curiosity, for the hands that went up, how many of you guys think you get like an A-plus for the application of the book of James over these few months? Like, got it every Sunday, you nailed it, right? It's like, not as many hands, maybe no hands, which is uh, worth pointing out because, This whole series has been given the title, The Gospel on the Ground. The good news of God's word, the amazing, unbelievable news of God's love for our lives and how that changes the course of our relationships and our perspective as we go through trials. And the idea being like what we receive on Sunday how do we get it from the sanctuary into the street? That's always a challenge. Anytime you get truth, it's only as valid as it's changing your life. And so this whole, this whole series has been a study in how do you take gospel truth and apply it, and it's been a constant reminder that as exciting as it is to receive the truth Sunday, it's oftentimes convicting on Monday because we don't do this perfectly and all of the ways that the book of James has encouraged us to find joy in the wisdom of God, to be patient and humble as we wait on him, so that we would navigate the ups and downs of life that have been the last couple of years, just as an enhancement for the last couple thousands of years, that life is hard and difficult, and when trial hits, the the high of the sanctuary sometimes turns to the low of the streets. We're really good at buying high and selling low, and that comes to truth as well. It's like, sounds great, but as Mike Tyson says, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face, and then it looks a little bit different. So today, very interesting, we look at the very last message that James will have for us, and he will end as as punchy as he started. Oftentimes, the, the epistles or the letters of the New Testament will, introduction, hi, I'm the Apostle Paul, and then outro, like, God bless you all, be blessed, and thank everyone who got this letter out. And James is like... Until the very end of your time, I have a message for you. And the final message might be the most important one to get because it is the gospel in one simple package. This message that we'll read today says, for all of us, for anyone who gets the truth on Sunday and wanders or strays from it, you still have hope. We are not grading on a pass-fail from Monday through Sunday. This is the gospel right now. And look at what it says. James chapter 5, verse 19. Brethren, if any one of you, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sin. Now, this is some really, really rich and deep missional concepts for us to receive for the empty seats this morning. It's like anyone who's wandered that maybe could be sitting next to you right now, and maybe not just empty seats of the sanctuary, but maybe empty seats of the dinner table. Maybe it's just empty seats in your community life. Maybe it's just someone that's, that's distant because you're still following and they're no longer interested in God. And in that, we have a good news message for how we're supposed to follow God, and also a message that if we do this right will completely set us apart from the world that we live in, especially today. Because what this says to us is that you can receive truth and you can stumble and fumble and fall, but it's not the end of the story for you. It's not the end just because you heard from God and you wanted to follow God and you didn't do it perfectly. The gospel says, Grace and forgiveness are, in, are, are infused into the, all the messages of our study in James. All of the ways that we got the word and didn't live it, James is going to say, and as you wander from the strategy of ch- joy and trial, let's set up a community of people that are always working to bring people back to center, back to the gospel. And it's a message for the culture because we live in a time where if you violate the truth, or the narrative, or public opinion, or you do something that doesn't go with the flow, it's like you're out. The world is better at excommunicating than the church is nowadays. I I, I was listening to a comedian, and there's still room, I think, for the, the comedians that will give social commentary because we're supposed to sometimes laugh instead of cry. And this is what he said about the culture we live in. He's like, I'm gonna give you guys an impression. So as I read this, he's gonna ask you to guess who this is an impression of. And he says, okay, here's the impression. If you do anything wrong your entire life and I find out about it, I'm gonna to try to take everything away from you and I don't care what I find out. It could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be 15 or 20 years from now. If I find out anything you've done wrong, you're finished. And he goes, guess who I am. Everyone's like, Ugh. And he goes, I'm you, (laughs) that's the culture, that's you, that's the audience, if you get it wrong, you're out. And we live in this time where maybe we kinda can sense that and maybe we've even been pulled into the low tide that that is, that's like, that person's out, they got it wrong. I heard a sermon from 20 years ago, they got it wrong, heretic. I listened to them from 15 years ago and they're just wacky and I don't want anything to do with them, but that's not the gospel. The gospel says, here's the truth. It's gonna set you free and you're gonna fall and you're gonna stumble and the righteous man gets back up and the righteous person helps restore the process. So for all of us, as we hear this gospel good news, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, you're restoring their soul and you're covering their sin. This is the mission that we're on to be totally different than the world. And I hope as we go into how this practically looks for the empty seats or the person that maybe is burdened on your heart right now, because you just wish as you watch their life going towards the destruction of sin, you wish you could pull them in. Before we even get to that, which will be the majority of what we talk about, let us all who are here right now just take a moment to say, thank God this verse is true for our lives. Thank God that God set our appointed boundaries and places of our dwellings with people that he sent as messengers into our life for when we wandered. Because this message says anyone, and I think it's not if, but when, when we realize that all of us like sheep just wander astray. It's a very good analogy to think about the spiritual person in relationship to God. We are all sheep and we all sing uh, the the, the hymn with, with conviction prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And as much as you love the message, Monday morning comes at 7 a.m. and you're like, do I want to follow today? And if you're honest, a lot of times you're like, not really. And I'm wandering and I'm kind of drifting from the Lord. All of us do it. And we're here this morning by God's grace because God, in his amazing love, has given you a message, a conviction of his spirit, that there is always grace for the sinner to come back. And this message is gonna be called, Welcome Back. So I start by saying to all of you, welcome back since last week. I'm so glad that in all of the ways that you did not get an A plus on the test, you're here, believing in this verse, that it is good for you to come, even in error to come back to church and to come back to the sanctuary, to come back to the presence of God and believe in the gospel that does not require you to live the perfect life now, but to continually progress towards it for eternity. And that's what we celebrate for those of us who are here. But now, this message is also for, ironically, the people who aren't here. So unfortunately, they're not here to hear it, which means you're here to hear it for them, if that makes sense. So what we're gonna do For the the teaching of this, I hope that you are thinking of a way that you could take part in the second anyone. Because the first anyone is anyone who wanders. The second anyone is anyone who helps turn them. Anyone who would take a wandering soul that is marching towards the destruction of sin and be part of God's plan of salvation through you. And how do we do that? So let's look at the verses now, thinking about how we can be a gospel-centric community that cares just as much about the people that aren't here as the people who are. And so what does it say? He says, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and that is, as we go through this, one of the words that's worth emphasizing, underlining, or circling, however you best learn from the breakdown of this, the truth is what's at stake. The truth of what God has given us revealed through his word is what we are to build our lives upon like a wise builder building on the foundation of a rock. That's the truth. And I emphasize it because sometimes as good agents of the gospel, desiring to see people turn back to God, we emphasize things that in their air are not necessarily the truth. Sometimes we want people to come back to the tradition. We like the way things have always worked. We like the church body that we belong to in the tradition of our church. Uh, Parents, as you think about children that aren't here, you may want to bring them back to a tradition that maybe you overlaid on the hopes and dreams you had for those kids. And now that they're 25 and unmarried and still searching for their job and wondering who God is apart from this church, you're thinking, ha, I just wish I could bring them back to the tradition I had planned for them. (laughs) I I think of... uh, appropriately, I think of a movie maybe to end our series, because as you'll remember beginning in our series, we had a little segment within the series called James at the Movies. We looked at a couple different movies. We we're like, it's kind of like that movie that we all saw back then. And, and one of the movies I thought of for this moment uh, is a great wonder from the truth movie. Has anyone ever seen Catch Me If You Can? Oh, It's one of my favorites because it shows what is possible with a little creativity and ingenuity. It's about a kid who at 16, he finds out his parents are getting divorced and he's like, okay, well, there's no reason for me to stick around then. And he figures out how to basically fake it until he makes it into some of the raddest industries of the world. So he pretends to be an airline pilot, a doctor, a lawyer. He travels the world on fake checks. And you're like, you like this movie? And in a way to show the dangers of wandering, yes, I do. Um, but he comes to this point where he doesn't want to wander anymore. He actually wants to come back to center. Like, what is real? Because you spend enough time wandering from the truth and you start to live in your own fog. And that's what happened to his life. So he comes to his girlfriend and he says, hey, I got to tell you, I'm not who you think I am. And, and he says, Brenda, I don't want to lie to you anymore. I'm not a doctor. I never went to medical school. I'm not a lawyer or a Harvard graduate or a Lutheran. I ran away from home a year and a half ago when I was 16. The whole thing's a lie. And she looks at him and she's like, you're not a Lutheran? (laughs) Of of the list. It's like, I can live with anything, but I need you in my tradition. If we're going to get married and have babies and live happily ever after. The tradition is what matters. And when people wander and you bring them the tradition and you try to pull them back into the way you think their life should go, and it's not rooted in the foundation of the truth of the wisdom of God, you're actually gonna push them away. So it's important that we catch the ground rules here. James says, what's true? Because people are allowed to explore the expression of God in a lot of different locations and geographies and expressions of liturgy. All of those things are allowed. But what we're saying is, it's either following Jesus in truth or you will begin to wander towards sin, so we better know what's true. And we better be fighting for the truth of their life and not just the tradition of church or religion or what we want for them. And so this is where we can do a little bit of a review, kind of a a, a highlight reel from the book of James since it's our last week here for a little bit. Because James, often called the Proverbs of the New Testament, is offering all sorts of hard foundational truth that we can cling to in a time of confusion and trial. And that's when the fog comes out and the trial comes out, you better know what's true because you're not gonna be real certain about a lot of things. So James says, you can have joy in the trial, You can actually go through the ups and downs of life and get through whatever the world throws at you and the trials from in through your flesh. Joy is possible if you know the truth. That's why he says, if you lack wisdom rooted in knowledge and understanding, if you lack wisdom, go to God. So let's look at a couple highlight reels from the book of James chapter one. Trials are good trials are actually a design by God. That's the truth that he offers us in his word in James and other places to say, don't lean on your own understanding. Otherwise you won't think trials are good because you can't see beyond today. But if you knew the God of sovereignty and providence, you would know that all throughout his story, he's using things that seem bad to work them out for good. He can do all things together for good for those who love him. Trials are good. You better cling to that when you're going through them because you're gonna hate them at times. And then chapter two comes. It says, partiality is bad and God's not partial. So you better not set up your community, your gospel-centric community that's about the comeback and restoration of God's love for anyone who wanders with a preference of who walks through the doors. You better not say, okay, for the rich people, they can come back at any time. But for the the lower paid subscription people, uh, they're gonna have to work out some issues. Maybe they'll serve and clean. And before they get fully restored, uh, we'll just separate based off class. James says, don't do that. Why? Because God doesn't do that. You better know the truth that God isn't partial. Otherwise, you might come to Him with your own built in partialities as to why He might love you. And the other danger is God wants you to trust Him apart from your preferences in partiality. Meaning, when He gives you wisdom, don't say, I was actually preferring this plan. So if you don't mind, if you could kind of direct your good works for me to walk in towards how I was going to make this run, that would be great. That's actually partiality, and that's bad. Partiality is bad. Chapter three, your words matter. In fact, all of the book of James is like, you better watch out how you talk about things because that's revealing your heart. And he gives us that picture of the horse. If you can bridle a horse with a tiny bit in his mouth, you can direct the whole animal. And so it is with your life. If you can bridle your, your words to praise God and have humility with people, you'll actually allow him to direct your life. So you better be aware of the way you talk about the whole trial and the people as they're a part of the trial. And then he goes on to say, chapter four, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And, and you, you want to get through a trial, you better be willing to be humbled by all of the things that you thought were going to go a certain way that are no longer the case. And in all of your desire for you to see God get you through the trial with endurance and patience, you better be willing to go with his plan and not yours against your pride. And that's why he said, don't make all these plans about the future and what you're going to do over the next year and how much money you're going to make. Humble yourself and in the middle of a trial, here's what's true. God knows the plan, trust him, and wait for him, and be patient, which brings us to the truth of chapter five, which is God avenges and cares for his people. We are in a time where it seems that darkness is on the rise, and the trials of the world are are getting a lot more airtime than the victories of God, and James comes on the scene and says, just wait, the king is coming, In fact, Palm Sunday is a great reminder that the king came once and he's on his way again. So in the middle of the storm, in the death rattle of the fallen world that we live in, here's something that's true. Wait on God. Be patient for him. Don't take matters into your own hand because the king is coming. Amen? So we've got these truths, these truths of, of the book of James. And now we say, how are we doing? In clinging to these truths, as you go through the ups and downs of life, this is the anchor of our community foundation in the gospel, and those are the things we're talking about wandering from. Those are the truths that must be restored into the life of a believer as they go through a trial, and sometimes in the flesh, it just seems like all those things are a bad idea. Are are you so sure that we should just wait on God and not avenge ourselves? Can't can't we like get a little bit more like excited with how we can move the political pieces on the board and just try to figure out how to get through this? Yes, as long as you're humble and you're waiting on God. Can't we use some of our own wisdom? There's been some great books written about how to get through trials, just from CEOs and business people and and bankers. And there's gotta be some wisdom that we can just kind of overlay onto how we do this. The wisdom from above is pure. And it will lead you into the goodness of God. The wisdom of man is selfishness and confusion and all sorts of evil things. Cling to the truth. And for those who are wandering from the truth, let us remember that we are just trying to bring them back to the center and the foundation of the reality of the the world that God has placed us into, which should bring up the million dollar question How do we turn people? How do we, when in, in our own hearts and minds, how are we turned or repentant back towards the truth? And so this is where we will now talk a little bit more strategically about who we're praying for, the people we're hoping for, the people that we see wandering, and sometimes it's just for our own hearts right now. How does the turn happen? Well, I find it interesting that we are in the middle or kicking off what is often called in the church calendar, Holy Week. Uh, Holy Week is a case study in how people are actually turned. Because where we stand today on the first day of Holy Week in Palm Sunday, we have the parade. We have the excitement of the people. Jesus, for three and a half years, would not accept the anointing of the crown of the Messiah. And now, Palm Sunday, he says, In the march towards the cross, I will allow you to anoint me your king. And what do we learn from Palm Sunday to Good Friday? People wander really quick. People are palm branch, Hosanna, come to save on Sunday. And by Good Friday, they're yelling, crucify him. And this brings up a reality that is for us now on how the turn doesn't happen. The turn does not happen from someone who's wandering away from the truth back to it just by pulling people in by your force because that's not what Jesus did and Jesus actually wept over the case that he could not do that. Look what it says later on in the week. As the holy week will unfold and the people's opinions start to shift, as he comes in in Messiah, he goes right to the temple and he starts arguing with the religious elite. And what does he say in Matthew chapter 23? Jerusalem. <laughs> Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. The prophets came to make the turn, a nation that had wandered from the truth. God raises up messengers, come back to me, come back to the heart of my goodness and my good plans for you. And Jesus realizes that he is now going to be the fulfillment of how that story usually ended. We don't want the truth that you're offering. We don't want the prophets. And then he says, how often I wanted to gather you like children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. So there is actually a shift that happens in the way that we care for people. And Jesus is representing the second part of the story because by God's design, the first part of the story in the people of our lives that we care for the most from parents to children is that we actually can mother hen them in the first half in the first half of the life of a child that wants to be anchored in the truth and all the kids that exist in the households of this sanctuary, you have about 12 years with that child where you can literally put them under your wing and tell them how to do it. I'm in that stage now. So when my kids do anything wrong, I'm like, not in my house. And if my kids don't want to go to church, I'm like, sorry, you have to go. Right now they are in church and they have to go there because Well, one, I said so, and two, it would be illegal to leave them at home. And so I'm not to that stage yet either. But it's like, I call the shots. And you've got to say sorry, and you've got to forgive, and you've got to share, and you've got to receive. And you remember that stage, some of you were in it with me, when you could mother hen. But there comes a a stage, and this is really hard to navigate exactly when it starts to transition, and it's really hard to open up your hands, or, or maybe more appropriately, to open up the hen's wing and allow the children to actually take part in their relationship with God. It's really hard. It starts, according to John Whitaker's parenting class every, every Wednesday night, it starts around 12, in that 12 to 15 range. Parents, you have to learn, by God's grace, I'll learn right behind you how to take the mother hen and actually trust them to God so they can start discerning his voice and walk in wisdom according to their relationship with God. And that's what Jesus is doing now. He's not just forcing everyone to follow him. He's not forcing the, the, the religious elite and those who represent the, the religion of the nation to lay down their rights, to lay down their positions of power and just follow Jesus. He can't. He wishes he could. And so for the parents among us, prayers as you go through the heart of a prodigal father for your child. Uh, I share this with you. I shared it last Mother's Day, but a quote that I found comforting as you go through the stages of life and you you do everything you can to anchor your child on the truth that they would not wander. And what happens 10 times out of 10? They wander because they're human and we all do. And you wandered and you thought for sure that you were the exception to the rule and your kids would never be like you. And then they wander. So what do you do? Here's a, a, a reminder for those of you who are in that stage right now. Colin Smith, nobody was ever saved by good parenting, and nobody was ever lost by bad parenting. Now, we can do our best to give the the, the clearest runway to Christ, but here's the, the lesson for truth Jesus says, I'm the way, and I'm the truth, and I am the life. All of the wisdom and the foundations of the world that God made for us to understand the truth are actually pointing us to Jesus. So here's strategy number one the lost need Christ. The wanderer needs Jesus and you are not Jesus. You can't die for them. You can't save them for eternal life. The spirit that is in you that was from Christ has to come from Christ to them. And this is a beginning of our strategy is the Holy Week moment where we are pointing everything to Jesus. The turn happens when we realize that we are not trying to give people tradition and we're not just trying to restore them into a relationship with us. We are trusting that the truth belongs to God and what they need more than anything else is God himself. And I hope that that's what people receive when they encounter God following Jesus, loving people from this little church, that they would not be pulled in to hear a message from their pastor or they would, man, I'd just love if you could come on Sunday and just get it all. We're here, we're here to help. But if all we give people is sermons and Sundays, they're still lost. People are restored into the truth from the fountain of all truth, which is Jesus. And now we get a little bit more practical because I've had so many questions over the years. Maybe categorically one of the top five questions I get is from the prodigal uh, friend or parent or neighbor that wants to know how to bring their loved one back into the anchor of the truth. And James actually gives us a very practical, and yet maybe it's too Christian for X to actually do it. It's like, I'm going to say something very Christian right now. So that should be good news because you are a Christian if you're a believer. Uh, So you're like, oh good, I'm a Christian. So James chapter 5 verse 16. Many people, as we've talked about in our study, we look at James as the Proverbs of the New Testament, just full of these wisdom moments. And yet it is one continuous thought. It's joy in trial all the way to the end. And here is one way that we can see some runway for the answer. We better not compartmentalize the teaching on prayer away from the teaching on restoration. Because parents say, I don't know what to do. I've tried everything. Here's what you have to do. Verse 16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. There is a moment in your life as the prodigal person waiting for the return that you have to open your hands to God and say, I have done everything I can do. And that may feel like an utter failure at the moment, but here's the reality. You're finally where God wants you. Seek God. Offer your loved one to the Lord. Here's the good news for you. He loves them more than you do. He cares for them more than you do. And he has the power to save by which you do not. I'll always remember Reggie in this moment when I think about that day where I have to pray for my children more than just put my arms around them and pull them in. He was thinking of the day when his oldest daughter would go into eighth grade, and that's the turn, right? It's like, bye, Dad. You, you used to have to carry me to school, and now you have to drop me off uh, uh, two blocks away because I don't want to see you. And Reggie's like, how am I going to protect her in this stage? I know. I'm going to get a job at a teacher at the school. I'll just be there all the time. <laughs> and it's like, well, what if you're, you know, she's not in your area. He's like, I'll be the principal if I have to be. I will oversee her life. And then the Lord, while he's on his knees, gives him a lesson for all of us. He's better at protecting our kids than we are. He's better at drawing people into himself than we are. So oftentimes our job in the comeback is to say, God, I am going to pray. And I have to say, this lesson is not something that is lost on me or something that just came to me this week. This is actually part of my journey into ministry and church and ultimately following Jesus. Because I remember in my wandering time, we all wander. I wandered. I remember, you know, oftentimes getting the the just update from my mom. Hey, how are you? Good. Praying for you. I'd be like praying for me. Praying for you. That's all she would say. Hey, I'm praying for you. Now, as those prayers began to take root in my heart, as the Holy Spirit sent into my life from my mother, started to reach me, the details of those prayers were so rich. Not only was she praying for me, she was praying for a list of people that her and the collection of her friends would not stop fervently praying for. And there is a There's a history of our church that has comeback stories that are full of fervent and relentless prayer for those who have lost the wandering ways. And I'm just grateful that that is our story because that is the strategy. And if I could tell you that it was like, read this book, go to this service, go to the crusade, and that was the answer, then we would be limited by all those opportunities. But now I say to you, I'm here because of the fervent prayer of a righteous person that never gave up. And I'll remember, you know, one of the first Bibles that I started carrying around when I got into the, like, I got to have a Bible everywhere. It was my mom's, and I opened up the first cover, and it just had a list of names that she was praying for every day. Every day, I'm going to pray for these people. And if you believe in the truth that you don't want others to wander from, one of the main ways you cash that in is to believe in the power of prayer for the people that you don't know what to do with. And yet I know there are some people among me that are like, I have prayed and now I want some practical. And there's some practical in this as well. In fact, um, I, I can't help but think of another person that, that just stirs my heart for the comeback stories of our church. And by God's grace, he's here with us. The evangelist, Chris Smith, he goes, most, night, or most weekends he goes and just does street witnessing. mean, you talk about a ministry that cares about the comeback. He just wants to pray for people anywhere that he can find them walking around downtown Boise. And I'm like, Chris, you've given your life to this verse you will never stop having this verse cover your story. He leads our comeback ministry, which we call Words of Freedom. It's for those who are fresh out of jail or struggling with addiction and they're on the fringes. Before they get to Sunday, they swing by Words of Freedom and they meet Chris and he treats them like a family. I love him for it. And so he and I were having breakfast yesterday. I was like, Chris, perfect. How do you cling to this verse the way you do? How is it that after 10 years of evangelism, with one or two is sometimes no visible results, that it's your life mission to turn a sinner back to the truth. And so without knowing it, I was taking notes and he gave me five things I wanna share with you now. The first thing he said is that you've got to love them where they they are. love them where they're at. Love the people in your life right where they're at. And And it's just so true, he's like, Friday night, I'm going to the streets. I don't care where they're going or where they came from. I just want them to know that God loves them. And same today. It's like you want to live this out. Just remember, first you receive it. Nobody, as you were coming in the doors today, said, what did you do last night? What were you up to this week? Because this is a holy ground and we don't want you messing it up. Thank God we didn't do that because the whole thing would be empty. I would literally be preaching to no one including myself because every one of us are loved by God today right where we're at and it is better to give that out than to receive it. So if you believe in that, you're here this morning cashing that in whether you know it or not. You didn't have to check your resume at the door and you didn't have to really quick clean up all of the unholiness of your life Monday through Saturday to walk in. You came here knowing that if you seek God, he's gonna draw near to you and you can sing his praises and music to his ears. So can we be that way for those who are not with us, for those who have wandered? Second thing he said, this one's tough because this violates not only the worldly culture, but it sometimes violates church culture. And of course it has some nuance that you have to unpack, but he says, don't even call them out. Don't call them out. Like the, the word is full of times that we have to rebuke the sinner. So rebuking sin is part of what we have to do. I never want to be accused of being a pastor that was light on sin because you don't get the good news before you accept the bad news. Y'all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners in need of a savior. And yet, the more I thought about it, the more you see these pictures of people who are clearly clinging to their wandering ways, and the word gives tons of grace for them to come back before they're cleaned up. I think of Maybe my favorite story of the Bible, Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son, he's like, hey, I want my inheritance before you die so that I can take all the money while I'm still young and use it for a party and I don't wanna do it in town, I'm gonna move away. Now, parents, honestly, if your kid said, can you cash me out now so I can go use the money in some distant land and I'll probably waste it, you're not gonna ask for some receipts. You're not gonna be like, hey, before you go, can we just get a plan for how you're gonna leave it? He doesn't do any of it. He says, here you go, take what I have, what I have is yours, and if you ever need me, I'll be here. That's really hard to hear, but in the same way you walked through those doors without passing out a resume, you are receiving the goodness of God today. And not all of us are using that to God's glory every minute of our life. And yet God's grace covers all of our wandering way before he starts cleaning us up. I'm so grateful that I know people can go to Words of Freedom with a cigarette in their mouth and they still smell that alcohol and they don't have to turn around. Because there's a whole process to this. And if you don't like the smell of smoke or alcohol, that might not be the ministry for you, but people can come as they are. And before we talk about the addiction to cigarettes, can we talk about an empty tomb? Before we talk about how you need to clean up your life and start tithing to the church and not be so greedy, can we talk about the reality that there is a God who is on mission to find you? And now that you're here, we're gonna spend our life helping you get cleaned up. And then he says, and this one's hard. I always remember that it's God's timing, not our timing. Don't you wish that there was a little bit of a timeline on the grace that we extend to the wander, like a little bit? I always remember Peter, he's like, hey Lord, how many times should I forgive? Seven, because I'm so cool, I'm so righteous. And he's like, stop counting, 70 times seven. If you do the math, I'll I'll make it harder. Stop counting. The disciples are like, is now the time to restore the kingdom and kind of get the Romans out and you take the throne? He's like, listen, I take care of the time. You wait for me to do the work. You wait for the empowerment of the spirit. How many of us over the last couple of years have seen people wander out of our life, out of the the fold, and we're like, man, those idiots are never coming back. I'm so glad I'm not like them. They, I mean, I was give, it was a couple Sundays, now it's a year, now it's two years, I haven't even talked to them. God is full of surprising ways that he reconciles. And if you think it has to fall in your time frame for how long you're willing to pray and how long you're willing to keep watch on when the person actually repents and says sorry and comes back into the fold, and then you've got the meter on and the clock is up, you're probably not gonna see too many stories of God's grace happening in your life. And then he says, they already have guilt and shame. Don't worry about that part. You know, the the people, there's no doubt someone who thought about coming to this church or a variety of other churches in the valley this morning and said, I'm not worthy. Who am I? Knowing what I'm capable of and what I've done, who am I to walk through the doors of a church? Maybe next week. Maybe after I can kind of clean things up. Most people have plenty of guilt and shame, and that's why they're not here. And one of the beautiful things about the word is that it says that you can call a sinner in his air, but you're actually covering There's so much of what we will do to make sure that that guilt and shame is properly dealt with, but to remove it as far as the East is from the West so that when people come into the fold, they would be able to hear this amazing message that that Jesus says, there's more rejoicing over one sinner who repents than 99 who are in no need because he's not really interested in 99 people who aren't real about their life because we all need to repent. So, when he sees it and when we get to enjoy it, when people can overcome the guilt and shame of the burden of their own sin, and they'll come in to confess openly, Jesus says there is rejoicing for that. He's grateful for the ways that a lost sheep would, would come home. And we live in a, in a very condemning world. We live in a world, as we discussed by a comedian early earlier, that would love to point out all the ways that you don't deserve to be in the in crowd. But that's not the God that we serve. We serve a God who gives us this incredible two-edged sword of a message. You're guilty of sin, but I love you. You can't save yourself, but I'll lay down my life to give you mine there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you're in Christ, you are set free today from the guilt and the shame of all of your wandering. May we be agents of such a message for people who are limping around with the guilt of the wanderings of their life that have led them into a ditch of the destruction of sin. you'll never know. This is the last one. If you're taking notes, number five, you'll never know your impact until heaven. The word says some plant the seeds and some water, but God brings the increase. You don't know your impact. You don't know his timetables. You don't know what a simple prayer will do to move the heart of someone that you thought was totally lost and they're found in a place that you can't see and i can't help but think of my own grandpa for this story you know god's time frame and not knowing the impact my grandpa was 90 years old when he got baptized for those of you who are like looking at the clock waiting for your college student to realize that freshman year they need to repent of it's like it could be a minute <laughs> my grandpa at, i think at the age of 40 he got into a wreck and he hit a sign that says jesus saves and he's like oh i got to get my life right at 90 he gets baptized And along the way, silent prayers for his soul. And then some woman met him as he was walking his dog at age 89 and she just started walking with him and telling him about Jesus and he accepted the truth of the gospel one year before he died. So you pray and you wait and you wait and when you meet the Lord face to face, you will hear, well done enjoy the rest of my kingdom. And in the meantime, we just be committed to the truth in our own lives in any way that we can take part in the restoration of community and take part in the agents of of restoration for other people's lives. And so we finish with these two things that will happen. It says, when this happens, when we can pray fervently and, 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 and hear from our brother that these are the parameters by which we keep going and we stay in the game of helping people relocate back to center to the truth, here's what happens. Verse 20, let him know you turn a sinner from the error of his way. You save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. We're going to Those two things, think about and then we worship and we say thank you to James for blessing our lives. Save a soul from sin, save a soul from death, save a soul from death. First, wandering from the truth of God is wandering from the way and the truth and the life that is only found in Christ. this verse can be debated and is debated as to what kind of death this is. Is it the death of the destruction of the acute sin that has destroyed a relationship and a community and that death now lives right now? Is it a death that leads to hell forevermore? It's all of it. Sin will destroy your life. And here's The bad news is sin is a destructive power to kill, steal, and destroy your life now and in eternity. But the gospel, good news. Because if you stay on the bad news that sin is destructive unto death, you can almost get depressed and feel like sin is winning. But look what it says. You can save a sinner from the sin that leads to death. All of the wanderings that exist outside of this sanctuary have a different variety of the depth of, the, of, of how far down the road they are. But here's the good news, Holy Week, Easter message. There is no sin that leads to death that can't be turned into a redemptive, victorious story. There's no wanderer that you're thinking of right now, and they're in the streets or in the rehab. They're going through it right now. This is saying we can still save them. We can still find the truth for their life to bring them back to center, and there's no sin that can overtake the power of the gospel. I think of one of my really good friends and seeing him at the lows of his sin and the destruction of it. He couldn't even talk to me without taking swigs of vodka. He was so down the hole. It's like talking to him, he just has to keep drinking because he was so out of balance from that in his life, puking while we're talking. I stand on the reality of the truth that I can still, by the power of God's truth, there is hope for that soul. There is hope for the sinner that is in the depths and the throes of it. And by God's grace, I get to see his story being redeemed. I was in that prayer room over there, and I, a husband and wife, they came. They said, we are here to make confession of adultery. And I'm like, oh, no, this is a dest- this, is, this is the destruction that, Ends all, <laughs> kills marriages, kills families, kills communities. And yet, he says, "I am here to confess before you." And then the woman said, "And I am here to forgive before you." And I tears in my eyes, the truth of the power of God's forgiveness knows, no sin that it cannot redeem. The brokenness of relationships, the the broken hearts of alcoholism, the greed of the country that we live in, we're gospel people. We've got the truth and the truth can set any sin free. And now the second part, you take part of turning someone and you get to see the gospel redeem a soul that was headed to death. And you also get to see love cover a multitude of sins. And that is part of the strategy that we must cling to if we're gonna love people where they're at and we're not gonna guilt and shame them and we're gonna accept them into the, the reverse, the repentance of the wandering back to the truth, you better be ready to understand how to cover someone. And this is nuanced, of course. This does not mean that when we find sin for someone we really like, we pick up the rug and we, we brush it under and then we move them on their way like it never happened and no one hears about it because sin is destructive and it must be dealt with. But it does mean we find a way to deal with it with them and for them. And I hate to always have to share these stories of how I learned the lesson because God's grace gives me blessings in this. But the, yesterday I'm in a hurry to go write a sermon and I pull out of the parking lot too fast and sideswipe a car. So, oh, why do I always do that? <laughs> this is not the first time that this story has happened. and and. Uh, first thought is like, oh, kind of minor damage and no one really saw me. <laughs> Should I just wander from the truth real quick? And maybe just, you know, it's like, oh, I am a pastor and a Christian. <laughs> so it's like, find a pen. And I like, can't find a pen. I'm going to leave her my number. And it's like, well, I can't find a pen, Lord. It's like, can't find a pen anyway. I have somewhere to be. <laughs> so I'm like, kind of like looking around and this woman comes out and, uh, She's just walking right towards me, and I, I said, I hit your car. And she goes, I can see that because <laughs> I hit it, you know. And she's like, um, you are free to go. And I was, it's like, grace is hard to receive. I'm like, well, there's damages, you know, I, I've got insurance. Can... She's like, it's okay. Uh, you're free to go. The other side's banged up too. I'm, it's okay. I'll cover it. I'll cover it. Does that mean that she swept it under the rug? No. It means that she said to me, you're free and I'll worry about the debt. I'll worry about the payment. I'll worry about how this gets covered. Somehow, this is the story of the gospel. Somehow, we come to God and it's hard to receive grace and we say, I'll do anything to work my way out of this. I'll figure out a way to exchange a vow of my commitment and my gratitude, and, and, and that'll be worth all of the damage of my sin. And he says to us on Good Friday, I'll cover it. It doesn't mean it never happened. It doesn't mean that the wages of sin aren't death, but what it means is I'm now free to go because he's taking on the debt. And this is the gospel that we're about to like march towards Sunday and praise God. I could never have gotten out of this. I came and I wandered from the truth and I fell right into a ditch. And I looked up at God and I was like, can we figure out a deal? And he says, you're free to go. Just confess with your lips that you believe that I have the power to forgive sins by putting on the cross of Christ. And here's where we now get to receive this almost in a way that violates how we want this all to work. It's interesting we're, we're here on Holy Week because, you know, Palm Sunday, Jesus is king. Yet there's a funny story in, in Palm Sunday as he's approaching the cross, the mission to cover sin, the mission to take the debt of my failure and exchange it with his life and his death. And you'll read in the Gospel of Mark and also in Matthew that as the disciples were following him, they hung back because they were afraid. He's getting too close to the cross. He's getting too close to this thing he was gonna do to lay down his life so that I could have mine. And oftentimes, isn't that how it works? Freely receive the forgiveness of sin, but I gotta hang back if it gets too close. But here's what this is saying, accept the free gift. You're forgiven. The truth is you're here, not by your works, but because of God's grace, but also this. Jesus says, if you really wanna be my disciple, if you really wanna be anyone who turns a sinner to come back into the truth, you better be willing to pick up your cross. You better be willing to be that prodigal father when he sees his son from afar off, he rushes towards him and he covers him with his robe and he puts a ring on his finger. And he changes his status from a peasant who is eating the food of the pigs to someone who is sitting at the chief of the feast of the lamb. We will kill a fatted calf for this son. He covered him all. And so parents, I think you really get that. In many ways, we cover our children. It's like as you wander from your air, if you take one centimeter towards me, I will cover you and I will love you with everything I am. And I think God gives us a heart of a parent for a child so that we could understand the heart of God for everyone. We'll cover it. We'll cover it. In your wandering, you said you hated Jesus and you hated God and you, you gave the Gentiles reason to blaspheme his name. But we love you, come in. In your sin, and your wandering, you hurt our family. You broke my heart. You lost the money. All of the wanderings that lead to death And as they confess and they come closer, the first thing they hear is that they're loved. And somehow in ways that will only get worked out in eternity, God covers their sin through his people. We forgive you. He says, we have the power to forgive people. We have the power to restore people. We are actually ambassadors. That's like a status in the kingdom. That's like a good job. to say you are coming back in and like the good Samaritan covering the wounds of the one who was left in a ditch because of someone else's sin, he covered the bill. And so as we march closer and closer towards Good Friday, we have to re- be revived in this part of the story, to be restored, and the power of the gospel means that we were walking towards death, and now we're being made alive, not because of something we did, but because of the love of the Father. And as the story in Luke 15 ends, and someone was mad, the older son that never left, and he never wandered from the truth, and he served his dad all his life, and he says, what's this sinner doing in here? The father says, this is my son. He was dead, and now he's alive. And for that, we celebrate. On Good Friday, we say we were dead in our sin and it cost us the life of our savior. And on Easter, we're gonna say, but we are alive in the power of his forgiveness and the spirit in us. That's the truth that we anchor our lives around. And that's the truth that we say, anyone who's wandered, come back first to this. You are loved by God. And he who did not spare his own son, how much more will he freely give you all things? If you have the truth, it is better to give it than to receive it.